Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Sam Alexander with your news. A local man has rescued 14 shelter dogs. Arthur Dunker, a man in his late 60s, went to the shelter looking for a companion. What he found was 14 dogs scheduled for euthanization. When asked why he decided to rescue all of them, Mr. Dunker said, even though it's a lot of work, taking care of these dogs is a labor of love. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Hey everyone, before we get started, I just want to tell you that this episode is rather dark. I know. Stephen King podcast, big surprise. But we do talk about some difficult themes, so please bear that in mind as you listen. Thank you. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I am one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Benjamin Graham. Guten Tag. And John Kahn. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> Today we are on part two of Different Seasons, apt pupil book and movie and we have josh leading the discussion yeah let's get into our different season summer of corruption now f pupil i I have a lot of feelings i don't even know where to start you guys there are so many angles to come at this from do we talk about the the, the story do we talk about the movie because i've a lot of opinions about both. <laughs> uh, very different opinions. Yes, I would agree to that. I, I say let's let's just you know let's break it down. First thing that is mentioned about this in, in this book, our protagonist Todd is a thirteen-year-old. Did yeah. anyone else have a hard time reminding themselves that he was thirteen for the first oh, half of no. this book? I had a hard time remembering what thirteen was like. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, Todd Bowden. Oh, my God. I, I'm literally sweating. Just thinking about, <laughs> I, I on the drive over here to record, I just kept thinking, I'm like, this? I don't know that this is going to be a fun episode. I was thinking the same thing. I, I can't tell you how many times in my notes I just have written down, Todd is a monster. Apt pupil concerns two people. Like, we can agree that there are really only two characters right. in this right. story. Like, there are other supporting cast members, but this is the story of Todd Bowden, who is a 13-year-old, all-American boy. Blonde-haired, blue-eyed, shucks, ma, I sure do love <laughs> school and sports, and I'm gonna grow up to, to be a detective, and... Just a swell kid. You could say an apt pupil. <laughs> and, apt and they pupil will at <laughs> least over six and over times and over in the book. And one day, Todd Bowden goes to his neighbor, Mr. Danker's house, and approaches him because Mr. Danker is secretly Mr. Dusander, a Nazi war criminal hiding in America. He blackmails Mr. Dusander into telling him stories. All the gushy details. Gushy Jesus Christ. (laughs) Bad word for this. (laughs) So much of this story is bad. It's bad. It really is. It's It's, so dark. It is the most, I think this might be one of the most grim, nihilistic books I've ever read by Stephen King. Did you guys know that in German, Todd means death? Did not know that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, this is just a 
dark fucking story and a perfect example of King's ability to write villains that you hate. Mm -hmm. The fact that the two main characters are both antagonists. This Stephen King made me sympathize with a Nazi for several pages. Yes, me too. Like, I felt bad for a Nazi war criminal for, like, a chapter. Until the cat. Obviously, yeah, yeah, I mean, until the cat. I never got that far. (laughs) I hated both of them the entire time. It's So Todd Mm. goes to his house and brings him his paper and he calls him by his real name not his fake name and that's and he's like let me in and he's like i'll call the police if you don't leave and he's like do it i'll tell him exactly who you are and lets him in and we have todd's psycho stalker like the all the things that he has prepped that he's gotten fingerprints from his mailbox he's got photos of him he's got books and stuff from the library that have all these photos of World War II stuff. And he just lays it all out. And then uh, Dusander tries to say, no, that's not me. And then lists his entire fake backstory. A very elaborate, mm-hmm. very believable fake backstory as to how he came to America and all this. And then Todd just coldly recites his service record to him. And then at that moment... He gives up and he's like, I've been found out by a fucking kid. A terrifying, psychotic kid. And that's, <laughs> see, the scariest part I think about Todd, is, especially in this first section, is that he, I didn't find him scary at first. Really? Well, that, yes, I did. <laughs> but the fact, the entire scene, this opening meeting between them, he is, the way he is acting is with utmost confidence he is later in the book he Dusander describes him as you you have this unfailing american confidence that is the part that freaked me out about it and yeah that's I, being a I, sociopath yes. yeah <laughs> and i i kept imagining him as this little kid I, I almost, uh, I kept imagining him as as Dennis the Menace almost. Yeah. Just like, well, golly gee, Mr. Dusander, you were a Nazi and I really would like to hear about all the war crimes you did. And that made him all the more awful. And that in that first meeting, as soon as Dusander understands, mm-hmm. he tells him, you, you're a monster. And he is. Yeah. When a Nazi... <laughs> can call you a monster and he's right and he is correct but i like i also appreciate that todd's like well i might be a monster but i mean so are you yeah he's just really nonchalant (laughs) about like i mean you're a nazi if we're we're gonna draw a line in the sand we're both on one side of it on a lighter note did you guys catch that dusander knows andy yeah that blew my mind (laughs) that was awesome uh that in just his rundown of how he came to the States and his how he's lived, uh, he casually mentions, oh, yeah, I bought some stocks from this guy up in uh, up in Maine 
who was good with money. Uh, I heard he murdered his wife and went to prison forever. Uh, don't worry oh, he about remembered it. remembered his last name, oh, too, yeah, yeah, because Dufresne. it sounded similar to his. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Du- uh, uh, I was like, oh, I, I just read that. <laughs> yeah, and it made me very excited going forward. That was that was a neat little and Easter egg. And the only fun thing about this story. Well, there, there's another Easter egg, too. Yeah. For, oh, I didn't catch that. He mentions a serial killer, spring Jack, which is a character from one of the Night Shift stories. Well, Spring Hill Jack is... Well, uh, he's, yeah, 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 but um, King uses him. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't remember I that I can't remember story. which story, but it's in that huh. book. Now, I pulled I'm out... Looking forward to that, reading that, too. From this point when they are they're still have their first meeting. There's so much mm-hmm. in this first meeting. Mm-hmm. When they're talking about calling each other monsters, I, I pulled this quote that Dusander tells him when he's talking about all the terrible things he did. He says... Only those who lose are tried as war criminals for following orders. Todd's response to that is basically an understanding of how politics works. Yeah. <laughs> that Todd, like it was a it's a level of intelligence and awareness that also makes it it piles on how terrifying Todd is because he takes something like what, you know, is is a fairly uh an accurate statement mm-hmm. and makes it and, and basically draws the conclusion that Dusander's alluding to of like, yeah, I mean, you make up whatever justifies your actions. That's how politics works. As they say later on in the story, Todd has many grown up thoughts. Yeah. His brain does uh, not operate shudder. like a 13 year old boy. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the, the characterization of these two in this, like immediately from the outset, is so amazing. They're so fully drawn. We understand these two right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And DeSander is in the beginning described as this like disgusting, pathetic old man. And uh He gets some of his life back though through this relationship with Todd. As Todd is making him pulling these stories out of him, he is becoming, it seems more like vital and with it. Like he finally has something to live for again, which right. just adds to the disturbing nature of the whole relationship and story. That's where I was, yes. Because I think this is a good segue to start our discussion of the movie. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Look, do we have to? Because, yes. Uh, so throughout the the story, the, the story is subtitled The Summer of Corruption. And the whole story is DeSander telling Todd these terrible stories and it corrupting his soul and turning him worse and worse until he's monstrous, which we'll get into. Through bringing this out of Dusander, he brings this monster that Dusander used to be mm-hmm. to the forefront, and their their corruption mirrors each other. Yeah. Which is why I want to talk about the movie, because none of that happens. No. Nope. <laughs> this fucking movie. It was so watered down and just... They, they took everything interesting out of it. Yeah. It was bad. Except I'm I'm happy that, that we did not have to watch the cat dying. Because, mm. Ben, you had to watch it on your own. But Josh and I watched it together. And we're on our respective couches. And I think we're both like, <laughs> I can feel my body trying to go backwards into the cushions, trying to get away from that scene where he's Descender's going to put this cat in the oven. <sighs> Of course he is. And he he doesn't. Like, the cat gets away. But that whole scene is just like, no, I can't. I can't watch this fucking movie if they're going to kill a cat. I almost threw the book across the room at that point. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I hated that. 
I, there were so many parts of this. I'm like, well, CM is, uh, I, CM is CM's gonna not going to be happy. This. I did not watch House of Cards when it first came out because they kill, he kills a dog in the first five minutes. And I was like, no, I've never seen a single episode of that show. <laughs> oh, I, I, I I've also never that. seen it, but that's going <laughs> to come back later in an interesting way. Let's, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, we uh, have this uh, movie, okay. uh, the, the, the casting is terrible. I went in, I hadn't heard good things about App Pupil. I'd never seen it before, but I went in thinking, well, at least Ian McKellen's in it. Ian McKellen will be the saving grace. What did, what did you guys think? I sure do love Ian McKellen. <laughs> I do. Um, he he did the best with what he, he was given. sure did. You know who brought it? Uh, David Schwimmer's mustache? <laughs> well, okay, I'm sorry. You know who else brought it? Who? I can't remember his name. Good. Uh, the, Good call. the guy in the bed. The... Um, oh, the, the, the patient. Hospital, yeah, the, the patient. guy who... Jesus Christ. When, he, when yeah. he realizes who DeSander is, and he he's like putting his fist in his mouth to stifle a scream of terror, and he makes his way out of the room towards this nurse, and yeah. he just collapses into her and starts sobbing. That was I huge. Teared up. That was super emotional. That got really? Me, that got me hard. I choked back laughter oh, at ben. the <laughs> most overacting I have ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. At least... Uh, up to a few minutes ago when uh, Ian McKellen was stomping around a sad kitchen and uh, <laughs> taking out all of the menace of a very menacing scene. Yeah. That was goofy. Uh, it was all but fucking I, I goofy. I have to it disagree was... with you on the, the hospital scene. I did, that that <laughs> hospital scene, it didn't, I, I wasn't on board until the collapse into the nurse's arms. Mm-hmm. And then I, as I like pulled it all together, I was like, yeah, okay, overall, I think all of those choices work. It was the only emotion in the film. <laughs> that, is, that is frighteningly accurate. That is very true. There was not a lot of range. And that, well, going back to the thing that the movie is missing, the emotion in the story. So as we talked about, as these stories go on, essentially, um, Dusander gets stronger and Todd gets a little weaker. Like when he tells them about the the Pegasus project, which they they, they just butcher in the movie yeah. that whole story. But it's it's gas that didn't kill them. It it made them laugh hysterically. But when he is and Todd's asking about the experimental gases and stuff like that, Dusander just says, We had uh this one, I remember the Pegasus project and it it didn't work. And Todd just like latches onto that pause and he's like, No, no, you tell me exactly what it did. It, it didn't work, but what did it do? And it, like, so he's pulling this information out of him every opening he gets. And then as he keeps telling more and more stories, suddenly the details just become free. He and becomes he, less reluctant. Yeah. And he just opens up to all these things and it slowly drives Todd insane. The, the power dynamic between the two is like the driving force of the entire book. And as that power dynamic shifts, starting with the uniform. That's that's the, the scene that I was talking about. I, I felt bad for a Nazi when he opens the present, looks at the SS uniform, and begs him. He begs this 13-year-old child, don't make me put this on. And I was like, holy shit, man. That's That's interesting, because I can see feeling that way. For the first part, Todd buys Dusander a present after months, right? It, it's yeah. been months yep. at this point. 
he buys DeSandro a present, and it is a cheap SS uniform costume. And he tells DeSandro, put it on. DeSandro strips down in the kitchen in front of him. Mm-hmm. And is described as like sickly and sallow and pathetic. And you're almost, I I, I can see almost being drawn to be sympathetic. Mm -hmm. But immediately he puts on this uniform and Todd makes him march and goose step around his kitchen. While he is doing it, Dusander's describing the feelings coming back to him. That he's remembering that he he's pushed all of this evil that he's done he did years ago away for so long, but now he's remembering it. Todd is forcing him to remember it. And he's remembering that he likes it. And you're like, oh fuck this guy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Fuck this guy. And that's the moment that this power shift happens where Todd says, Okay, you stop now. And he keeps marching. You you feel it's like something's been awoken Todd just at that moment realized what he was messing with yeah it is but yeah it's such an intense scene and the movie just shits all over it it, <laughs> it really uh, does. it doesn't translate it, okay he, he does when in the movie he puts on the uniform and he's marching in place you can see him like he he has like slumped shoulders and he's mm. he's not you know, fast mm-hmm. or uh, or precise. He's not into it. Yeah, he's not into it, and he's kind of making uh, a mockery out of it. But as he keeps calling out commands, it just they get a little sharper and mm-hmm. a little sharper until finally that one last turn, and it is perfect. Mm-hmm. And then he starts going yeah. for it, and I was like, "There it is!" And then they cut to the wide shot of it, and I was like, "Oh, it's gone." Yeah, yeah. It's just poor, <laughs> and here's poor it is directing gone. choices. Yeah, yeah. They, I, they here's knew the what other, they were going for. But here's the failed. other problem. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so amped up. The, the other problem is it's Ian McKellen doing this. Yeah, I could not separate that. They, he was never pathetic. He's always dignified. He was always Ian McKellen. Yeah, he does. Ian McKellen has a certain amount of just class and yeah. power. Well, in, in the book, it, it describes the first time Todd sees him and describes him that he looks like a mix of Einstein and Boris Karloff. Yeah. So I, you know, my mental image is a, a very specific one. And Ian McKellen does not fit no. that specific it's, image. It, I have never before and probably will never say again that Ian McKellen was miscast in anything. <laughs> but he just is not the right person for this role. I don't know who would be. Yeah, me neither. Uh, but it's it's a hard role, especially when you have the story um, that watered down. The, the bad guy yeah. chef from Ratatouille. Nailed it. Right? Mm-hmm. He's all gaunt and pointy. Yep, and fully yeah. animated. Yes. <laughs> okay, so where where does that? So we uh, let's talk about Todd's parents, uh, and they they have Dusander over for dinner because Todd has been saying that he's reading to him. That's his excuse for being over there every day of the week. And uh, his his parents, Dick and Monica, are the most oblivious humans mm. in the world. They were they were infuriating in every scene they were in because they pat themselves on the back for how well they're raising their child by essentially letting him raise himself. Like they often yeah. talk about the amount of freedom and like that they're there to touch base if yeah. he needs them, but 
they had overbearing parents, so they are going the complete opposite, and they have all this money, they live in a very nice yeah, neighborhood. Th- like, they're the cool parents. Yeah. So whenever in the early scenes, Todd and his mother call themselves by their first names. Hey, yeah. Monica, baby. I hated weird, that, by the way. Weird it... choice. <laughs> Did you guys have the impression that they were, in part, just oblivious because maybe this kid is just so good at controlling outwardly how he presents himself that they Mm. really have no idea what he's actually like or so for me part of it felt like they were willfully oblivious yeah like they if they had seen an inkling of it kind of like the dad did when todd got angry they would ignore it yes i 100 percent feel that for every interaction they have there are plenty of times especially as the book goes on that todd is breaking like he can't keep his stoic exterior Mm -hmm. and he continually starts losing it in little ways and doing little suspicious things Mm -hmm. and there's a scene this is very late into the book where they have a conversation in in their twin beds next to each other they don't share a bed twin beds next to each other because i was so confused reading that (laughs) wait twin beds but how are they like high-fiving each other about what great parenting they've done (laughs) really jerking themselves (laughs) off about being dynamite parents and like all that stuff and they they have excuses that's Mm -hmm. that's their parenting style is excuses yeah and it is tragic and it drove me insane it was it was painful to watch because he is still a kid. I mean, mm-hmm. sociopath or not, no matter how good he is at hiding that, he's still a kid. They are his parents and theoretically should have some insight into what's going on. He's with him. 13. Like, it, it keeps coming back to that for me. Like, he, it's crazy. He's way too young to have the freedom and have the, the equal say he has mm-hmm. in his family dynamic. And to call his mom Monica, baby. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Knock it off. So, um, we'll get back to going back to Dusander. Uh, we find out that he has started wearing the SS uniform as pajamas, which is also something they, that they don't talk about. They don't even reference in the movie. I was glad that they showed one of Todd's nightmares because the nightmares are very, very important in the book. And they talk about both of their nightmares. His nightmares that in the book are terrifying and cause him to have wet dreams, but in the movie manifest (laughs) by him getting real sweaty. (laughs) Just real, real sweaty. In the book, it it does talk about like... Uh, when Monica and Dick are talking, she talks about like his sheets being soaked. Okay. And, like, so there is a reference to him like basically sweating real hard throughout the night all the time. It's like the, the movie didn't want to take any risks, and this book is so disturbing mm-hmm. that yes. it was almost insulting. The disturbing sexuality aspects of Todd. Because the violence, like this violence happens to him right at puberty. Mm-hmm. And the violence gets tied up yeah. with his sex it's drive to where he starts thinking about murder. Uh, he, he watches a bum under a railroad platform and thinks about stabbing him with a knife and notices he has an erection. Uh, um, <laughs> so I'm <perfectly>. not upset <laughs> that that wasn't in the movie, <laughs> but it's such a pivotal part of what the story is. They could have done something, something. to represent that. 
Yeah. There's an absurd amount of disturbing details. And I and I thought they were goes. going to have more of that in there because they aged him up. And I thought mm. maybe that's why they did that. Because God, that it's, pissed me off. <laughs> it's, um, I guess, less difficult for audiences to watch something like that with a, a more adult person than a child. But no, they, so why did they age him up? What was the point? There's so many changes in the movie that that's exactly why. Mm. Why did they change also, this? Also, why, why did they not only make Todd... Uh, 16, but a senior in high school. Yeah. Because he's a, an apt pupil. Why? <laughs> oh, yeah. I oh, forgot right. about that. Right. I know. And it's one line. I know it must be hard being 16 and also a senior. What? It's what? like such a throwaway. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't in the well, book. It's, it's so pointless. It's because the, the book goes between him being 13 all the way up to being 18 and graduating high well, school. Yeah, this takes and place so over years. They are. Yes. They're trying to condense everything into a <laughs> In matter the of dumbest months. way possible. Yeah. And this is the least of the problems with changes <laughs> in the movie. Because some of the changes are downright disgusting. Go on. Do Sanders. Okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> We've never I done that on the show. The been- murders. <laughs> okay. In the book, Todd's grave start to fall really badly and the uh his guidance counselor ed french says oh you have to get your grades up by the end of this next term or i'm gonna have to meet with your parents i'm gonna send them all this stuff and the pressure drives him insane and skipping a bunch of stuff eventually murders start Mm -hmm. (laughs) happening in the book Sander is murdering bums by luring them home on the bus with the promise of food and a bath and and money and um, the same things that he did to get information out of uh, the Jews in the death camps by promising them food and all this. And then he murders them in his kitchen, buries them in his basement just f- because he's fucking evil. But in the movie, the hobo is just in his backyard yeah. and sees him walking around in his SS uniform and comes in and is like, I know something about you, so give me money. So he he brings him in, and that turns his motive for murdering this hobo into some sick self-defense. And why the fuck do we care if this guy's defending, no, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. That's not evil enough. Why change it? Why change it? Why change it? Why make him less evil? Why? He's a Nazi. He should be the most evil thing in the world. Right. Why? It's interesting that your impression of the the bum was that he was insinuating something mm. about him. Because for some reason, I, I saw him see Dusander in his uniform, but he didn't seem to care or sort of like recognize what that was mm-hmm. not that he couldn't tell what it was but like more concerned with rifling through his garbage to get cans to get some change and i thought that on the bus when they were kind of making eye contact that he thought desander desander was looking for company gentlemen mm-hmm. yeah that's it's, what i thought too it's and I'll be completely honest, I checked out during certain parts of this movie because <laughs> fucking terrible and I hated it. it. I think it was ambiguous. It was it, it could de- it was definitely both, I think. But I mean, he was still killing him because he's like this bum whether he knows he's he's a loose end. And yeah, it wasn't just a I feel like murdering. 
Uh, <laughs> the, the murder rakes are coming. Yeah. <laughs> Better scratch that itch, which is kind of what, I mean, Todd and him share that by the end. Pulling back, uh, since you were talking about the the promises he made to the bums and uh, his way of interrogating, this is something that I didn't think was going to circle back. I thought it was kind of a throwaway thing, but he talks about the lamb stew. That mm. when he was in the concentration camp and he would bring someone to find out who was hiding anything, get people just to spill their guts, they would have lamb stew sitting on the stove. And so they would bring them in the room and they would just smell it. And he said that the implication was always they would get food. They didn't get food, but they always they put the impression out there that if they did give everything up, they'd get food. And he described it as elegant. That his form of torture was elegant. So a couple of years ago, do you guys remember that uh, there was a Holocaust survivor? I think her name was Ava Kor. She publicly forgave a Nazi guard at his trial. And I remember when I saw that article, it I couldn't reconcile that. It really bothered me. I couldn't figure out why she would forgive him because I, not being religious myself, you mm. know, I, I couldn't associate it with anything useful it's like well no don't ever forgive him screw that guy and it stuck with me for a really long time and at some point I happened across this quote in a book by Dr. Travis Bradbury he does these like emotional intelligence books where he talks about there are different types of intelligence some of them are emotional Mm -hmm. there's this quote that I want to share because this is the only way I was able to deal with how I was feeling about her forgiving this Nazi You don't have to wait for an apology to forgive. When you forgive someone, it doesn't condone their actions. It simply frees you from being their eternal victim. Hmm. Interesting. Wow. Uh, That woman sounds like a a living saint. Right. All Uh, right. Uh, So let's jump back in. We've we've talked about uh, Todd's falling grades, and we meet Ed French. Ed French has been the guy. He's the guidance counselor expertly played by david schwimmer and david schwimmer's <laughs> mustache and he, he basically is trying to get a hold of todd's parents because all of his grades are plummeting also i don't know why i thought that was a weird difference but in the movie all of his grades are like completely garbage mm-hmm. and for in the book that he specifically mentions all of them except for english and history mm-hmm. are the only ones that didn't fall I just thought that was a, a unnecessary distinction, but I wanted to bring it up because I that, thought it was weird. That change kind of makes sense to me because in the book, he is still 13 or 14 years old. Right. And he has he's always been an A and B student and one grade drops and that's all it takes for Dusander to get the upper hand. And Dusander even says, like, if you come out and say that, uh, you know, I'm a Nazi it will hurt me much more than it hurts you. But he is still so just the idea of one grade being bad is enough to paralyze him. Yeah. Uh, and in the movie, since he's older, I think it made sense for them to be like, uh, I don't think that's a big enough uh, motivation sure. for an okay. older kid. That makes sense. Yeah. So we find out that uh, French wants to meet with his parents. Mm. They come up with a plan that Dusander is going to pose as Todd's grandfather. I believe it's Todd's idea mm-hmm. that he poses his in grandfather. The book. <laughs> yeah, in the book, it's it's Todd's idea. 
And Todd's like, you're going to do this. So Dusander goes in and he pretends to be uh, Todd's grandfather. They make the deal that if Todd brings all of his grades up, they'll call it square. But if any of his grades, if he gets any D's or F's, the parents have to get involved. And as he leaves, French thinks, huh, he didn't call his grandson by his name one time. Called him the boy. Just called him the boy. And I didn't think enough of that to make a note of it at the time. But when it came back later, I was like, son of a bitch, Stephen King. (laughs) You really just slipped that one in there. Well, Uh, so, yeah, then that starts this sort of, again, the tables are turned and Todd becomes the one that Dusander's you know, drilling into and and he's making him do all his homework and Todd basically becomes an apt pupil. God damn it. I have to get it in as much as the book got it yep, in. I, yep. I'm at three. So you've got seven more. Good. So uh, when they, they're like, all right, this plan worked. And Todd finds out the agreement that was made about his grades. He flips out. And that's when Dusander's like, well, now... uh if you gave me too much power, buddy, now we're locked in this together. If I'm outed, I just posed as your grandfather. Mm-hmm. I could not have done that without you. Mm-hmm. Everyone Movie. will know. <laughs> I couldn't have done that without you. Brian Singer and the screenwriters of the apt pupil movie. And this is the, the first major outburst of Todd's violence, because on his way home, he sees a bird lying in the street and he <laughs> rolls over it with his bicycle tire for five minutes pardon me for laughing <laughs> it is not funny in the no. book it is uh it like made my really heart beat real fast mm-hmm. reading all that that, uh, scene. that was probably about the point that i put the book down and realized i had been reading for like three hours straight it's intense and disturbing and is the first glimpse you have into just how deeply corrupted Todd has become. In the movie, he hits a pigeon with a basketball. It's That's... not even, I mean, if if it had been like several slam, like if he was like intensely like gonna be. slamming it, like you don't see it, but you bloody. just see him <laughs> doing it. Like that would have conveyed the intensity that the scene in the book is trying to convey. And that would have been... Yeah cool but no he just walks over and he bounces the basketball in front of it a couple times and then one and then throws the ball and walks away yeah so dumb it's so dumb and the basketball becomes the godfather's oranges for this movie <laughs> that yeah the basketball comes back oh, in the final scene and i guess is supposed to be I don't know. I guess. Uh, <laughs> film language for look how menacing Todd's being. Yeah, that's. And it right. is not I- in any way at all. Now, uh, we have the. So we're. We have the escalation of violence is now starting. Yes. Uh, we've we've talked about. DeSonder uh, establishes he has been killing stray cats in his oven. Uh, then we have a, an entire scene where he goes to adopt a dog. And I got very angry. But the quote that I pulled out of that chapter is when they talk about he talks about how they have to euthanize the dogs that don't get adopted and he says we give them gas it's very humane they don't feel a thing and Dusander says no i'm sure they don't another point where i wanted to throw Fucking the book barf yeah like i th- i got sick to my stomach 
so many times. This book is so goddamn bleak. And I'm actually glad we read this so close after the dark half and our discussion of Bachman versus King. Did either of you... I, I had the feeling that this was uh, closer to a Bachman book than a King book. Did, uh, did either of you... I've never read a Bachman book. So if this is what it's like, fucking sign it's... me up. <laughs> Let's do this. Yeah. I kept describing when, when I was talking to other people about it because I physically can't talk to either of you until we <laughs> record right. or else we'll talk about it forever and not do this podcast. Uh, I use the word visceral about mm-hmm. a thousand times because mm-hmm. it's the most aggressive and violent way I can describe the feelings that I'm feeling. And it's not a lot of other Stephen King books that I really do enjoy. The horror in it is this uh, sort of fantastical or somehow mystical or mythical mm-hmm. boogeyman. It's not real people. And it's, that yeah. is what made it so unpleasant to read mm-hmm. i had usually i'm finished in record time and i didn't finish until yesterday because i just didn't want to pick up the book i, I can't blame you this was <laughs> i also yeah I, I think this is the longest it took me it's taken me to read to read any of the stuff that we've been doing all right so todd passes his classes we think we're all done like all right uh, crisis averted but the only way i'm going to be free of this is if i kill Sander. And he comes up with a plan and he's going to push the old man down the stairs when he's going to get his booze. And just before he does that, Dusander's telling him, like, oh, I'm going to give you another one of my stories. And it's a story of an old man who was afraid of a fucking psychopath and says that he bought a safety deposit box, wrote down everything they've done together, put it in. And if he dies, it will be opened. This was probably my favorite part yeah. of the and- whole book. And yes. he was like, and by the way, I heard you when you got up from your chair. That was great. <laughs> he's like, yeah, because he's like this hardened, you know, criminal who has been on the run, who knows how to watch his back and look yeah. after himself. And he's- Todd's awakened any dormant ability in mm-hmm. him, basically. He's at the top of his game. Oh, basically, he is able to then trap him in, in that, that logic trap of like, we are never going to be free from one another. As If you tell me that the note that you say you wrote and all the evidence you say you have that you gave it to a friend for safekeeping in case something happened to you, if you tell me you got rid of it, if you bring it here and burn it, I won't know you didn't make a copy. I could do that with this 12-page manuscript I wrote about what we've done and burn it in front of you. You would never know I didn't make another copy. No matter what happens, we are tied together forever and then todd dabs a homeless guy 37 times in the face yeah. with a swiss army knife with, with a butcher's knife was or, it a butcher uh, knife kitchen. yeah he buys oh. Uh, oh. he buys. thinks about doing it with a yeah. swiss army knife but then he comes back with the butcher knife and stabs the wino 37 times, 37 times. he d- describes that he stops moving after the sixth and then walks home in covered in blood yeah just uh walks another point uh against his parents uh, <laughs> the fuck were they doing and then you know what it happens next todd turns 14 <laughs> right like I, the, it ends with that a thing and then like the next paragraph is like todd's birthday just happened and he's 14 like oh god i i don't know if you guys this is a minor thing but i thought uh 
stylistically it was really cool that up to this point in the book every chapter has been a month at a time and as soon as the murders happen the chapters lose that the the structure drops out of the book mm-hmm. and it becomes more uh, more freeform. I really liked that. I thought it was very effective because then don't we get like the next two years? Yeah, the it next two years very, are very quickly. like summarized. So we have in that time, Dusander has killed three more winos in the, in, the, in the next year. And so the next year happens, he's killed three more bums. Todd has also killed one with a hammer because the nightmares have started again and that's the only way he could think to quiet the nightmares. Then we go another year, Todd has killed four more homeless people and uh, stabbed two, bludgeoned two, Deuce Under has killed two more with one of them nearly escaping, mm-hmm. which is kind of the instance we get in the movie where like he stabs him and he doesn't die right away where every other one has gone off almost perfectly and this is the first one that he stabbed him and the guy got up and freaked out uh which is just another problem with the movie condensing every major action piece into just the single one but so we in the two years their body counts Mm -hmm. just shoot up because we've seen that escalation we've seen it take off and now todd is thinking about taking his gun and shooting people in rush hour traffic. Going so far as to finding a spot, taking his gun out, and dry firing at the people he lines up in his sights. Which also sexually arouses him. Yes. And it's horrible to read. Without skipping ahead to our ratings, <laughs> uh, I... I cannot wait for CM's rating at the end of this. Oh, me too. I thought about that a lot. This book was in my opinion, great, but it was not fun. <laughs> yeah, the way that Sam described it, it's it's terrible. You know that this story is going to end horribly. There's no way for it to end other than horribly. Yeah, I, it has to. I think the movie proves that there's <laughs> <laughs> another you can way just for let loose it. We'll get to Although that. Although I'm I'm really I'm so relieved that this is a short story. And this is it. Like, we're after this podcast, I don't have to read or talk about or watch this ever again. It's, and it's I won't. definitely one of those things. It, there are some movies that movies I really love, but I've watched them once and I will never watch them again. I, I can't take it emotionally. Remind me, did you, was this your first reading of this? Yes. It was yours, Josh, right? Yeah, it was mine. Okay. I have read this before. I read it when I was a teenager and I watched the movie. I had a vague memory of overall, like, what it is about and what happened. Mm-hmm. And I just, as I was reading it, I kept thinking, I, I don't remember these feelings when I was a teenager. And it, why is that? Is it because I was more naive in these characters and situations? I mean, despite knowing our history, these characters and situations seemed more like that boogeyman to me and not, oh, this is, thing, this is something humans do and have oh, done yeah. and will continue to do. Could it be that it's 2018? And there are Nazis out there yeah. right now. Yeah. Fuck you guys. If you're listening, uh, fuck you. It just anyway. as, as, as an impressionable teenager didn't really phase me or bother me much, but I had such a hard time as an adult. Mm. I, I know too much about the world. You guys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can totally understand that. It, it's hard. We've said it plenty of times in this episode. It's, hard to get through some of this yeah Yeah. can we 
Can we wrap it? Are we yeah. done? All right. So, <laughs> well, we're, we're in the home stretch here, kind of. Yeah, so, we're only like halfway right. through this. Now, we have uh, Doosender goes to kill another bum, kills him, drags him down to the basement, has, you know, the, the grave dug, all that, and has a heart attack and pulls himself up to call Todd. Now, they haven't spoken in about two years at this point. And, oh, we missed an important part. This letter that Todd believes will out him. We have discovered uh, at some point, Dusander scares him with this letter once more. Uh, I believe as he's leaving to go on vacation. And he he, he just fucks with Todd's mind and he yeah. runs out of the house and ends with, of course this letter isn't real. Right, yeah. There's <laughs> no safety there deposit box. There is no safety deposit box. Uh, it's completely completely fake and uh so when todd gets the call about this you i'm having a heart attack you get over here todd is still under the impression that uh he has to help or else yeah he has him under his thumb right and uh, so todd gets over there races over to the house meanwhile dusander has been having this heart attack for and, and i think it says he's been having it for like an hour at this point and uh, Todd freaks out and he's like, what are you doing? And Dusander, like, just off the cuff is just like, I know you have experience in what you need to do. So just get it done. Like, let's not, you know, sit here and talk about what, like, why you should. Like, I know you know how to dispose of a body. You've been doing it. Go do it. And so Todd leaps into action, buries the body, finds the, the missing shoe, cleans everything up. Calls his dad, says he's hit that Dusander's having a heart attack. What do I do? Calls the cops, uh, calls for an ambulance, and then realizes the whole excuse was, uh, he says, tell them that I got a letter and I need you to read it for me. And he's like, I'm missing something. I'm missing something. <gasps> the letter. And runs over to Dusander and he's like, you know, there's in my drawer, there's a locked box. Get a letter out of there. And so he goes up, breaks it open, and he gets the letter downstairs just in time for his dad to pull in and come into the house and immediately followed by the ambulance. And that was so cool. And I missed that so much from the movie. Yes. That scene was not it, nearly as intense. No. And it was Very that intense. in the book, I was like reading faster and faster mm-hmm. during that section. It was just like he it it really brings home how crazy and horrible both of them are. Just that moment where he's like, yeah, you you know how to handle this. I know you do. I can yeah. tell. All right. And then we jump to a character that we've never met before. Morris. <laughs> Just at that climax, all of a sudden we're being introduced to a character we have never met who falls off a ladder and breaks his back. But... <sighs> It was, I'm sorry. <laughs> go on. You really want to go into depth about Morris? His wife. Lydia. Not in the movie at all. Nope. Which, thankfully. Probably, sort yeah. of, uh, That stereotypical yeah. that you Just see in wife. movies. And, and I thought we were going to get, you know, our, our beloved Stephen King, like, let's dive into this lady's mind and get some crazy... <laughs> nothing. Pass. <laughs> no one cares. Instead... We, as he he's uh, he breaks his back uh, doing yard work, and um, we find out that he has a number tattooed yeah. on his arm. And the second that de- detail is mentioned, I was like, "Oh, yeah, this is some endgame <laughs> shit." 
This is... <laughs> I didn't expect yep, that. Did not see it I coming. Thought, I thought Dusander and Todd were just gonna, you know, end up tearing each other apart. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this was a, a pretty cool surprise. And then not only is he a survivor, but he is a survivor of the specific concentration camp that mm-hmm. Dusander was in charge of. And they are sharing a room. Does it border on deus ex machina? 100%. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's at least, they're grazing. Not as bad as the deus ex machina of, meanwhile, Mr. Frank is at a conference. Yeah. French. French! Ah! (laughs) It it happened! It happened! Hooray! (laughs) Everyone take a drink. Um... (laughs) Mr. French is at a conference for guidance counselors um, yeah, across that's, that's the state. Thing. Yeah, it is a thing. I'm <laughs> sure it is. I'm sure it is. But uh, it just so happens to be in the city that um, Todd Bowden's grandpa uh, said he was from six years ago or yep. something like that. But he remembers it and decides to call him because he's bored. This whole part, I was like, okay. He flips through the phone book, <laughs> just casually reading the phone yeah, book. I, well, okay, I guess it takes book, place in the 70s. Sure. A phone so. book is like a big book that it <laughs> has all the numbers of everybody in it. It's like Google, but a book. Um, yeah, so he calls uh, Todd's real grandfather and finds out, well, this isn't that guy that I talked mm-hmm. to. That's weird. Also, his grandpa calls Todd by his name. Oh, yeah, that's right. We are in the hospital and Dusander and Morris. Morris is saying, I recognize this guy. I recognize this guy. And finally, he has a nightmare in which he smells lamb stew Mm -hmm. and it occurs to him. And he wakes up and he can feel his feet. And it's a, it's a day of miracles. Mm-hmm. He gets out of the hospital. Dusander wakes up to a man with a Star of David pin on his lapel. My favorite character in this book. I do not remember his name. Weisskopf. Weisskopf. Who is saying, I know who you are. This is it. This is it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to be export- uh, uh, taking you back and trying you for your crimes. At which point, Dusander commits suicide, and I want to talk about how, oh, I don't know, maybe Ben, you won't agree with this, but I thought the movie did it way harder. Like, he dies hard in the movie. It was way more visceral. It reminded me. It was way more overacted. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Dial it back. I hated everything about this movie, you guys. Well, so uh, we we were talking about this uh, before we came in to record that mm-hmm. uh, it reminded me a lot of our discussion in Carrie, mm-hmm. where in the book, it was like when when she kills her mom, it's like, ah, oh, I wanted it to be better. And in the movie, it's fucking rad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And it's great. Well, where in this. He deserved he, a hard death. That's true. Yeah. And it's it's uh, it's another matter of it's it just wouldn't translate well to scene to no. screen. Because what happens in the book is he takes these pills and he takes three and waits until he gets sleepy because he doesn't want to throw them up. He wants mm-hmm. to die, right? And he takes another three. And at just as he's drifting off to sleep, he's saying, oh, finally, I'll, I won't have to worry about all of this. Unless there are dreams. 
No, not the dreams. He's been having these horrific dreams of the the uh, his the people in the camps coming for him. Mm-hmm. And as he dies, he knows. He feels the dreams. He feels skeletal hands reaching up for him mm-hmm. and dragging him down to into the dreams forever. Fucking <laughs> so rad. Awesome. You cannot do that it's in a movie. It's <laughs> so perfect. His the it's fact that perfect. his last thoughts are no and he's trying to not fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Like he's trying yes. to fight through it now and he just he gives in just and that's it. it. Fuck that guy. And then once he dies, Sorry. the news comes out. It's all over the papers that he is actually a Nazi and <laughs> uh, I wrote it down that it was uh, every when everybody finds out his parents freak out. Todd faints and Ed Finch chokes. Ed French, French. damn it! <laughs> I'm Ben. It's catching. And and Ed like chokes on what he's on like his coffee or something. Like everybody, they show like everybody finding out the news. Then uh, they find out that this Weiskopf wants to talk to Todd. The the cop, Richler, goes to interview the family, and Todd's denying that he knows anything. And through that whole scene, as Todd's answering questions, I was like, all right, this is it. Todd's, you know, he's he's playing his game. Like, he's mm-hmm. given his answers. And like, oh, uh, asking the about phone calls. And he's like, oh, yeah, he got a couple of phone calls a week. Uh, he never said anything about them, but it happened. Mm-hmm. And I was like, god damn it, Todd got away with it again. And then the next scene is Richler and Weisskopf. And he's like, the kid's full of shit. Mm-hmm. That, that was awesome. <laughs> that was, I think I've said this already two or three times this episode. But that was my other favorite part of this movie. <laughs> is uh, I-, I want a-, a sequel story that's all about Weitzkopf. I-, yeah. I wanted a story that's all about that dude hunting Nazis. Right? That would oh. be all right, awesome. I'm on board. I, right? The problem that I had with with his characters because we're you know we're coming down to like the mm-hmm. last thirty pages or so of this book that he goes through and he makes these leaps in deduction and basically a hundred percent hits every story <laughs> yeah. point between yeah. them and is like, well, if that's the case, then most likely this very specific thing happened between them. And I was like, bullshit, dude. Yeah, <laughs> bullshit. You are not Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> but uh, and then uh, a, a random bum. We get an, uh, introduced to more characters we've never met. A random bum comes forward and saw Todd's face in the paper mm-hmm. for making the All Star team, and is like, this is the guy that I I saw. Uh, two of the bums that died, I saw them with this kid. I 100% know. And so th- there's just another another thing that was set up that goes right up against Todd. Then Ed Finch. Sh- Fre- French. Fi- Finch. No, it's French. Finch. Fr- oh, no, it's, it, it's, I don't know anymore. It's, oh, no, I don't know. It's Ed French. French, right? Okay. Same. Yeah. Uh, Kedman Walking. Kedman Walking uh, shows up. <laughs> To we Todd's haven't mentioned house. that this episode at <laughs> no. all. No uh, one's going to know what the hell that means. <laughs> it's, it's his Don't worry about it, guys. Read the book. Where's kids? Um, <laughs> it's, not, it's not a complicated nickname. <laughs> it was given to him by 13-year-olds. There's not a lot of range there. So uh, Todd is sitting there cleaning his gun uh, as he's... And he loads it. And he's like, I don't know why I loaded it. And somewhere in his head, he's like, I know why I loaded it. And Ed comes up and confronts him about 
what happened four years ago that he's really fucking hung up on. Like, you pulled one over on me, mm-hmm. child. Did he not see the gun? Right. At any point. Yeah. Just it, it, like it, the balls on Ed to just right in front of Todd, like put all the pieces of this conspiracy together right mm-hmm. in front of him. And Ed says, how did this happen? To which Todd replies, one thing led to another. Simple as that. And then shoots him. Several times. Several times. <laughs> the line, he sure did die hard for a guidance counselor. And then laughed. He died saying his kid's name. a good name. line. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Was... To which that name had no reference to Todd. So he's like, all right, whatever. Yeah. And then shot him in the head. Tragic. And then leading to the final, he drives off with his rifle. And the final line of the book uh, it was five hours later and almost dark before they took him down. Because he went to the spot where mm-hmm. he yeah. was it's looking at the so goddamn bleak. I, I just wanted for one last time to hate on the goddamn movie. <laughs> now, I, this is real fucked. Do you want to rate the movie? Can, can you include this in your rating? Yeah, let's, let's, let's uh, go okay, to well, the I need, I need to separate myself from this whole experience <laughs> as soon as possible. No, th- this is real fucked. So in the book, Ed French comes up and he's not exactly a hero. He dies a tragic death, Mm -hmm. but he dies speaking the names of his daughter. He's married. He's uh, uh, just a good guy trying to do right. Yeah. In the movie, he's David Schwimmer, (laughs) which is the first problem. (laughs) Uh, And early in the movie, he's really only in like two or three scenes and there's a scene where he says, where he meets with his, or where he says, hey, if you get your grades up, we'll, we'll forget this whole thing. And he kind of like winks at him. And I even thought, are they doing like he's a weird creep? Yeah. Thing? That's weird. Yep. Didn't like that. Yeah. Did not like mm-hmm. that. Not a fan. And then it's not brought up until the end of the movie. The final scene. The final scene that in the book is so dark <laughs> and so tense and terrifying the final scene is in the movie ed french going up to todd who's playing fucking basketball and he goes hey i know everything that happened and todd goes uh well you gotta forget about it because i'm gonna tell everyone that you diddled me that's it check and mate and mate movie over okay First of all, that's a terrible way to end a movie. Yep. Really dumb. This is why it is vile. The book equates being a Nazi is just as bad as being this evil American kid. The murders and the evil make them equal. Right. The movie is saying being a Nazi is exactly as bad as being a kid that falsely accuses a man of sexual assault. Brian Singer directed this movie. Who knows the history of Brian Singer? Oh, God. I do not. I feel like I can guess in it. The two, <laughs> uh, in the past few years, I don't remember, he has been accused multiple times of being a pedophile and a... Uh, sexually assaulting young boys on the set of this movie a 14 year old extra in the shower scene sued the producers because brian singer made them all shower naked 
without anyone's permission. Oh, okay. man. On that note, I would like to rate the book, Apt Pupil, a solid five out of five blue chambray shirts. And the movie, a negative five blue chambray shirts. <laughs> fuck Nazis and fuck Brian Singer. Wow. Mic drop. <laughs> Can I unwatch this movie? <laughs> you can try. God. Josh? Um, all right. So really ending it on a, yeah, on a, we're, we're a positive really, note We're really here. dialing it in here. Um, for my scores, I'm going to give Apt Pupil, uh, I'm going to give it a four out of five, only because of how rushed that ending was. And I, I, I just had a problem with, the amount of dominoes set up that mm. was like, all right, oh shit, we don't like, I need to end this. Let's put all this stuff in. Let's put a, <laughs> mm-hmm. a, a magic super Nazi hunter that can fill in every single blank at the drop of a hat. Uh, and it just, it, it was a little too deus ex machina for me, but God, I really enjoyed it. And, and the movie, uh, one, one out of five, it was, it was appalling. It was a bastardization of Bad. the source material. Bad movie. I was going to give the movie like a three out of five before, Ben, you informed us of those horrible yeah. details. Um, because, in my opinion, the worst offense of the movie at that time was that it was kind of boring <laughs> and it didn't really capture that relationship very well, which was the crux of the book. Mm-hmm. So now I don't watch the movie. Um, That's yeah. fair. Doing it. As, yeah. as far as the book goes, my biggest issue with the book, other than every minute I had to read it, was <laughs> the character of Todd. I found him, it was gratuitous and one-dimensional. I felt like the mm. entire time I was being beat over the head with the fact that this kid, this all American blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy, is a sociopath. And I guess I just wanted something a little more graceful. And if you guys want to know what I mean by that, watch or read, I am not a serial killer. Mm. Okay. So I would have to give the book, man, this is a tough one. Is this our first one? Well, I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy reading it. It was effective, though. And I swear to God, if you give this book a five out of five. Is my. Do not harp on her score. It's her score, then. This is not the type of horror that I get off on. Mm. As I said before, this is real things that have happened, real people. I like my boogeyman to be more mystical and out there. Mm, yeah. People don't do this. But is that the book's fault? No. So I'm going to have to say five out of five. <laughs> 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 Fantastic. Amazing. Oh, and, and the movie in NA. So... Yeah, just <laughs> the movie just doesn't. We're just, she's erased it from her mind. She has no score because it doesn't exist. All right. So that's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next episode for part three, where we will cover the body, and again, we will watch the movie entitled "Stand by Me." For Benjamin Graham and Joshua Khan, I am CM Alexander, reminding you: I don't think anyone dies happy but you could die well. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Well, that got dark, and then darker, then disgusting and reprehensible. This story clearly had an effect on the three of us, and we'd like to know how you felt about it. But first, 
I want to say a few words about this episode's sponsor, Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com dairy and browse their awesome selection of audio programs, download a title for free, and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com dairy. And if you're thinking, I've already read that book, CM. What do I need with an audiobook? Having a book read to you is a unique experience that I highly recommend. I personally enjoy the opportunity to devour my favorite stories in every format available. And you can switch seamlessly between audiobook and ebook with Audible's WhisperSync feature. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com/dairy. It feels wrong to say I hope you enjoyed part 2 of Different Seasons Apt Pupil. But then again, I did give it five blue chambray shirts. Tell us how you would rate it on our Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio or Twitter at Dairy Public. You can also send questions to our email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. I'd like to leave you with this bit of info. In 1987, Alan Bridges started filming an adaptation of Apt Pupil. They got a chunk of footage shot before it was ultimately scrapped, and Stephen King supposedly thought the rough cut was very good. I wish I could have watched that movie. Goodbye, listeners.